Hey, what's happening, Liberty lovers? This is the Scottish Liberty Podcast number 17 coming at you on Thursday, the 6th of October 2016 with me, Tom Laird. And me, Anthony Samaroff. And welcome to the show, everyone. And uh, we're going to start off with the smoothie of the week. Anthony has prepared a delicious smoothie and I'm going to have a taste of it now. Wow, that is spectacular. Um, I know there's strawberries in it. I know there's some Sharon fruit in there. And there's some orange. What else have we got in there, Anthony? Banana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two apples. Okay. How do you like them apples? <laughs> Pretty damn decent apples, if you ask me. You'd think we had an affiliate link with the smoothie maker, which we don't. We don't, but if you but are a smoothie maker. We availed ourselves of an affiliate offer. Mm-hmm. And we got a shout-out on the Tom Woods show. A big shout-out in the Tom Woods show. And we are massive fans of Mr. Tom Woods. So it was great to hear. So thank you to any new listeners we have who might be tuning in after hearing us on our shout-out, our moment of fame on the Tom Woods show. Yep. This is a podcast that's sort of on the new side. It's the Scottish Liberty Podcast, and you can check it out at, guess what, scottishlibertypodcast.com. Although it's coming to you from Scotland, it covers issues of importance all over the world and includes commentary about what's going on in the United States, so it's fun to get the Scottish perspective. All kinds of topics covered. Nothing is off the table. Maybe not every topic is suitable for work, but what are you doing broadcasting podcasts at work after all anyway? So check out Scottish Liberty Podcast. We are not only the best Liberty Podcast in Scotland, but we are the most potty-mouthed Liberty Podcast in Scotland as well. (laughs) And in honour of uh, any of you guys from the good old US of A have joined us, or anywhere indeed who's been listening to Tom Woods show and heard their shout out, we're going to lead today with a story from the good old US of A. Anthony, what we got? Well, this is a juicy one. So, President Obama has suffered a unique political blow, according to the media, on Wednesday when the US overturned his veto of a bill that would allow families of the victims of the September 11th attacks to sue Saudi Arabia. Okay, interesting. So this is Congress has overturned this veto. Wow, you think Congress could do something useful? (laughs) Indeed. What do you think? What do you think? Well, first of all, what was uh, Barack Obama's motivation for this veto? I guess... Two things here. Either the families of the 9-11 victims have got a case against Saudi Arabia, or they don't. Mm -hmm. If they've got a case, let them take it to court, and if if the case stands good enough, if it it doesn't, well, they've failed. uh, Why is uh, Barack Obama sticking his oar into this? And and, saying that people should be above the law. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing that burns my toast. Excellent. Obama said the concern that I've had has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia per se or my sympathy for the 9-11 families. It has to do with me not wanting a situation in which we're suddenly exposed to liabilities for all the work we're doing around the world and suddenly finding ourselves subject to the private lawsuits in courts where we don't even know exactly whether they're on the up and up in some cases. Okay. Just take a little moment to mill that in your brain, right? I want to veto this just in case in the future people start holding the government responsible for its crimes. Yeah. 
Now, can you just imagine applying the same logic to corporations, mm. right? And what would the left say if the president was saying, well, you know, we need to have this bill to block families for suing corporations because they're doing a lot of good work and they're they're doing all sorts of things and making products yeah. over the world. And they're but, employing a lot of people. Yeah, but we don't want a, a situation in which those uh, employers are suddenly faced or exposed to liabilities for all the work they're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the, 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 the left would throw a fucking hissy fit of gigantic proportions. And they would be right to do so. Yeah. And on the other hand, we're always told, you know, oh, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. That's the constant mantra of yeah. the anti-civil libertarians. So, what do you think? I mean, he's, he's, he's gone on. I mean, I'm, I'm taking a quote in the... Uh, he's, he's talking to CNN here and it says, quotes, so this is a dangerous precedent, he said. And it's an example of why sometimes you have to do what's hard. And frankly, I wish Congress here had done what's hard. I didn't expect it because if you're perceived as voting against 9-11 families right before an election, <laughs> not surprisingly, that's a hard vote for people to take. But it would have been the right thing to do. Look, either Saudi Arabia has responsibility for this atrocity or they don't. Let and the courts they, decide. Yeah, let the, let the courts decide. I think it's a strange one that Obama should stick his own sorry, pardon me, and try and, and veto this. And maybe maybe what he's, there's some truth in what he's saying. Maybe they're terrified that, you know, all of a sudden, Iraqi families, uh, Afghan families, Somali families are going to be suing the United States of America in court for the deaths of their families. I mean, are they going to be able to sue Clinton um, for the airstrike or the missile strike on the factory? Yeah, that, and was it was it, it Somalia? Was a, it was a medicine medicines factory. Um, sadly, I've forgotten what nation it was, but yeah. Clinton famous, famously bombed a I think biggest source of pharmaceuticals. Yeah, that provided more than fifty percent of the pharmaceuticals for the part the yeah. country. Are the people of Belgrade going to be able to sue Tony Blair and uh, you know the British government and the United States government for and you know? Maybe they should. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe people being able to sue governments for carrying out atrocities is the way to go. For sure. Maybe if you want to live in a war-free world. From a libertarian perspective, the basis of the law should be restorative justice. If you damage or harm someone or their property, mm -hmm. then you have to return it to the state that it was before you found it. If you break someone's window, you have to pay for the repairation of the window and maybe something for their inconvenience. Mm. If we're to not acknowledge the fact that countries are just agreed upon by consensus, you know, we've seen the borders of countries moved all through history, right? We live in this country because we agree on it by consensus. If the yes vote had gone through, then the borders of our country would be different. But essentially, every country is made up of individuals. If individuals are responsible for causing harm, then they should be responsible for repairing that harm, or when that harm can't be repaired, liable to punishment. Yeah. Candidate Obama 
was big on the people being able to hold the government to account. Right. And the government not snooping on the people. Yeah, but in fairness, he was talking about somebody else's government at the time. He, was talking, <laughs> he wasn't talking about the government that he would be in charge of. He was talking about the government that was in power at the time. You know, so it's If government is for, of, and by the people, and you know, we can have a debate about whether that has ever been true or could ever be true, if that's the principle that we're meant to believe, then the whole point is that the state is accountable to us, but mm. we are not accountable to the state so long as we've not caused harm. Yeah, harm, injury, or loss. Right. It's another individual or group. As Anne Rand put it, an individual should be able to do anything except for that which is prohibited under the law. A public official should only be able to do that which is permitted under the law. And making the government an exception, well, I mean, the government should be held to the highest standards of all. Yeah. If you believe in government, then the government should be setting the tone for the entirety of the society. Yeah, lead by example. Lead by example. This is meant to be a great liberal, whatever liberal means these days, you know, a progressive, someone of the left, someone who believes that the government should be being nice, you know, planting flowers and handing handing out puppies and things like that. So it's a disappointment. Well... But it's not that disappointing because it's about what you'd expect. Yeah, but it, but it kind of begs a question. Sorry, I know you hate that. Uh, uh, it provokes a question, which is, okay, are Saudi Arabia responsible for the, ultimately for the 9-11 strike? Well, we know that the guys involved in it were Wahhabi Saudis, or most of them. Does this mean, by the fact that Barack Obama tried to veto this, does he believe that Saudi Arabia is directly responsible for this atrocity. And if they are, why the hell did we go to war in Afghanistan? Why the hell did we go to war in Iraq? If it's true that Saudi Arabia was responsible, then, if anything, we should have been to war in Saudi Arabia. And I don't think I would have supported that military intervention. Yeah. But it does provoke the question. Saudi Arabia would be the best candidate for being an enemy, not an ally. I mean, it wasn't Saddam Hussein and the Taliban who were funding Wahhabi schools all over the Middle East to teach the most radical form of Islam. Yeah. It's Saudi Arabia. Well, this is, I mean, I remember, I think it was uh, George W. that called Saudi Arabia our friend. Well, I don't know. I don't think a country that can hang an 11-year-old boy for converting to Christianity, I don't think I could call that country my friend, really. Homosexuals, yeah. women's rights in Saudi Arabia are... Well, pretty non-existent. Non-existent. But careful now, you know, we've got to be culturally relativist about this. Right, well, I'm not a cultural relativist, as, um, as many arrows may fly my way. I think that we've got the right to say that cultural practices are superior or inferior to other um, cultural practices along the lines of the NAP and just general humanitarian concerns. What concerns me is that our record isn't exactly, and I say our, I hate that, 
we need to train ourselves out of saying our when we talk about our history our history the history of our nation because i wasn't born when a lot of these things happen i wasn't born during the period of british colonialism so it was hardly we yeah yeah man no but yeah but you've took you get the privileges that have been handed down to you by that well um we can get into all the privileges and the what's the opposite of a privilege uh, we'll call them drawbacks. Drawbacks that resulted for different people through British colonialism, and that's a huge and quite controversial topic. The history of this nation, of the governments we've had, and the US, is not consistent when it comes to down to the principles of who they back and who they don't back. Yeah. All sorts of terrible regimes have been backed by the USA and the UK's governments mm-hmm. and sometimes relatively benign regimes <laughs> and a benign regime is a contradiction in terms for me yeah. but but relatively benign regimes have been taken out of power by our governments I mean I know I'm not saying anything that anyone who listens to this show probably doesn't know already but I like it. I like the idea of the government being able to take, being taken to court for its misdeeds because you need to scare people into doing their responsibilities correctly. Now, the question is, supposing they do get sued and supposing they are held responsible, who's going to enforce it and who's going to pay yeah. for any fines? Because if it's the taxpayer then that's not really going to necessarily affect the behaviour of people in power. No. But anyway, uh, if you are a new listener, or even one of our old listeners, but especially if you are from the US of A, let us know what you think of this subject. Let us know what you, th- you think of uh, Obama's uh, behaviour in this instant. Let, you, let us know what you think about Congress's decision. And if you think this is going to be practical, uh, even with the best will in the world, uh, allowing the families to sue Saudi Arabia, is it actually going to achieve anything in the long run? Are we going to be able to get the responsible people to turn up to court? Um, good thing, bad thing, let us know. Leave comments on our YouTube site. Um, we'll move on uh, to the immigration uh, race row that's stirring with Amber Rudd. Uh, the Home Secretary, Amber Rudd, uh, has said... Don't call me racist. Uh, isn't that a song by Crystal Waters? <laughs> Don't call me racist. Okay. So, so Home Secretary Amber Rudd has been forced to defend herself, saying, "Don't call me racist." After a backlash against her speech on immigration, Ms. Rudd claimed she had been very thoughtful in wording the speech in which she suggested foreigners were taking jobs. They took our they jobs! They took our jobs! God damn it, they took our jobs! They okay. took our jobs! They took our jobs! They took us down! They broke his job! Anyway, so she suggested foreigners were taking jobs British people could have, despite the UK currently have record levels of employment. Critics condemned the speech, which also saw her unveil sweeping new powers to drive down the number of people coming to the country, including naming and shaming firms by making them reveal what proportion of their workforce is foreign. Okay, what do we think of this? First of all, what's the right percentage 
of foreign workers that you should have in your workforce. They haven't revealed, she hasn't given us any idea, there's nothing in the article to suggest what the correct percentage of foreign workers are. That's, that's the first thing I would need to ask. Second thing as a libertarian I would have to say is, what business is it of government who you employ and why? If you're not employing the right people, the competent people, the very best people at what they do, your business will suffer for it. If you're a consumer and you don't like the fact that the business on your doorstep doesn't employ British people, don't buy their products. Or, or, if you're, or if you're concerned that they don't employ people of a different nationality. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you don't like somebody's employment policy, let me state quite categorically, I believe employers should do it hire and fire whoever they like. That would include having a discriminatory policy against whoever. It's nothing to do with the government, who you employ yeah. and why. And if you don't like, okay, let's let's imagine I go uh, round to the cake local cake shop, and uh, I walk in and I say, "Wow, what a lovely cream bun! How much is that?" And the woman behind the counter says, "It's got nothing to do with you how much that cake is, Baldy, because this shop is a safe place, a safe space for women, and we don't serve men in here." Now I might be personally put out by that. I might be personally upset by that and offended by that, but I think she's got a perfect right to do it. Right. And I can open a shop, providing there's parity of quality, provided my mm-hmm. cakes will be every bit as good as hers, I can open up a shop two doors down from her, adjacent to her, I like that word, adjacent, mm-hmm. adjacent to her, and I can avail myself of the other 50% of the population that she's excluded from her marketplace. Right. And maybe more people will go because they're like, oh, this is great, this woman's only bakery. Yeah. And maybe a bunch of people won't go because they'll go, that's sexist, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to buy my man's wedding cake at his, his for his wedding to his other wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah. At the, at the, at the cake owned, the cake shop owned by the guy that serves everyone yeah you know i've heard that there's a tattooist in edinburgh just outside of edinburgh that she um, employs predominantly female tattooists because she is a feminist and realizes that there's not that many female tattooists yeah that's her choice she can decide to do that what is confusing to me about the whole thing is haven't we just been subjected to for decades these equal opportunities forms whenever you apply for a job whenever you go to university or a college or anything you have to fill out this form which says your nationality and your race and your maybe your religion and i have to say i really resent having to fill it out i i i just don't think it's anyone's business to ask my religion or my race or my nationality. I don't think it matters whether I'm British or Swedish or if I'm Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, and also if I'm white or another colour or some kind of combination. In fact, I think it's bringing people's attention to race and making it an issue when it's not. And they were doing this ostensibly, and probably not just ostensibly, they're doing it to monitor yeah. How many people are being employed of each nationality? The implication being, 
if they're employing too many white people, then the employer's racist and should be subject to legal action. Mm-hmm. So now on one side, you've got the government saying, oh, you better not only employ British white people. And on the other side, now with this Amber Rudd, you're going to have an opposite pressure where they're saying, well, do you know what? You better not fo- employ too many foreigners because if you're discriminating against domestic workers, then you're in the dock. Yeah. And this reminds me of a joke about antitrust laws. If you price your products too low, then you're accused of predatory pricing, which is when you price your product below the competition to make the competition go out of business and yeah. then you sweep out all the business. If you price it too high, you can be subject to a lawsuit for price gouging. And if you price it the same as everyone else, you can be accused of collusion. Yeah. So what you have here is you're creating a regulatory structure where anyone can be accused of being against the law at any time. And you just don't accuse people most of the time. But once you get a reason to get someone... You go for them. Yeah. And what I really resent is the politicization of every single issue, whether you serve a cake to a Jewish person, whether you employ immigrants, which, by the way, you're perfectly entitled to do. You can start a business and say, I think this country is really hard on immigrants and immigrants find it hard to get a job. So I'm going to employ all immigrants. I think you're perfectly within your rights to do that. It's not a political issue. It's a personal issue. You know, society is not the government. Just because we have principles and values and sometimes we want to act on our values and things like that doesn't need mean that all of these things need to be codified and enforced by the government. Let us do it ourselves. We're not babies. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two separate issues here. I mean, the, when you when you go for a job, not when I've went for a job, you get two separate forms. You get their, their own application form. And I believe, is it not... Is it not illegal now for them to ask you what age you are? Well, you know, it's like, cause you're, so we can't have that. We can't have ageism. We can't have sexism. But now what they seem to do is encouraging people to actually pay pay attention to what nationality uh, people are. Well, first of all, I object to filling in those 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 extra forums that ask right. you all that personal stuff. Now, they're supposedly voluntary. Right. It says on the form that you do not have to fill them in, but in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, if I don't, if I don't fill in this form, are they going to just bin my yeah. application? You know, they go, well, this guy's obviously got a problem with filling yeah. in these details. He's not the kind of person we want working in our workplace, and just throw your application in the bin. So there's that going on. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've lived in in, in other countries. I've lived in African countries, and it's absolutely par for the course there. That if you employ someone in that country, you have to, if you employ a foreigner, you have to prove that you've done your utmost to find a local person to do the job. They do that and nobody seems to complain about it. You know, it's just, it's just the done thing. You know, and, the, and people say, oh, that's quite right. You know, it should go to local people. Well, I don't have a problem with people employing local people if that's your bag. And I don't have a problem with people employing foreign people if that's your bag. Again, I, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but what business is it of the goddamn government who you employ, providing it's voluntary, and at this moment in time, providing they're not an illegal immigrant? I mean, ostensibly, as you say, this is supposedly about to root out companies that are employing illegals. 
but they've got plenty of powers and plenty of resources to be able to do that already. There's absolutely no need for uh, for this extra piece and, of legislation. And this is not without a cost either. Yeah. Right? Because there's a cost of compliance. There's a cost to filling out these forms. There's a cost to gathering the data. There's a cost to every com- company in Britain actually quantifying and collecting the yeah. data on who they employ. 99% plus who won't be doing anything wrong. That's all money and time. Mm-hmm. That's irreplaceable. Yeah. It's going to be wasted complying with this stuff. All of this stuff, the work of the legislators, yeah. the work of the lobbyists, the work of the accountants, the lawyers, all of this stuff, every time you see a regulation, just think, that's hours of people's lives. Yeah. Hundreds thousands maybe tens of thousands that they will never see again where they are complying with these laws and bringing these laws into existence instead of yeah whatever they would otherwise be paying or be paid to do and that is really serious and as an example of how these laws can backfire it's been said that one of the reasons why ceo pay has gone up so much over the previous decades is that liberals pushed for a law for the government to make it mandatory for top corporations or whatever to release the pay of their CEOs. Now everyone could see what everyone else was getting paid. Yeah. So they asked for pay rises. <laughs> and it just goes to show how these uh, well-intentioned laws can yeah, The can law of unintended consequences. And can, can I just say as well, for all the people on the left that are crying foul on this and calling, you know, um, Amber Rudd a racist, I would like to point out to you that these policies were actually tried and thought up by the Labour Party. Gordon Brown started this British Jobs for British Workers uh, pattern during his tenure. So, you know, Amber Rudd is not, I mean, I disagree with this policy, but she's not doing it. I don't think she's a racist. You know what I mean? Like it's just one of these words the left, you know, likes to throw around. It's it's, it's a lot better than coming right. up with a reasoned argument. You know, um, so she's not a racist, but she she might be a bit of an idiot. She might be a bit of an idiot. She might be economically illiterate. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Can immigrants take our jobs? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I don't think they, well, how do you how do you take somebody's job? Right. What do you what do you do? Do you well some everybody takes somebody's job somewhere along, or rather first of all how is it your job? Right. Why is it your job? Why do you own that job to start with? Does anybody have a right to a job? No, in my view, you've got a right to work. But you don't have a right to a job. You can't have a right to something that somebody else uh, somebody yeah. else has to give you. Yeah. So somebody creates that job, they create that vacancy, and it's up to them who they fill it with. Right. And now, if the if the foreigner is if the the foreigner or whoever is competing is is willing to work cheaper than you are, longer hours than you are, then that's a competitive marketplace. That's a free market. I can see the point. Where people would say, well, sometimes... Okay, let me give you an example where there's an unfair advantage in the workplace. Let's look at the security industry. Right. Because of legislation, um, if you or I 
coming from here want to be a security guard and we want to get a security industries authority license we have to do a 10-year police background check okay 10-year police background some people say that's a good idea but let's run with it okay 10-year police background check and make sure there's absolutely no gaps whatsoever you know on your cv or you have to explain every single you know where were you on that date seven years ago you know you said you left that job on that date you went to that job where were you in between? Can you prove it? All this you've got, all these hoops you've got to jump through just to get a security guard's license, right? For the Security Industries Authority. If you look at the current security industry, doormen, retail guards, there is a huge amount of them who are Somalian, Nigerian, Ghanaian. Tell me how you do a 10-year police background check on a Somalian. You can't. You can't. Absolutely. So... They have the, what you might call an unfair workplace advantage in as much as they if, if I've got if I'm an employer and I've got to waste time and spend time doing a background check on one person, whereas the other one I just say, go to your embassy and get us a piece of paper that says, you know, that you're a good guy. They go to their embassy, pay ninety dollars or whatever it is, and get the piece of paper that says, As far as we know, this guy's not a criminal. That's right. all it's gonna say. And they don't particularly bother. They don't particularly do a lot of in-depth background checks. You can't because so they don't have easier. the infrastructure. Yeah, it makes it easier to employ immigrants than people who are born here. Yeah. But that's the thing. It should be up to the company, the security company, whether they want to do that background check or not. It should yeah. be enforced by government. I can see good arguments for it because it's like, well, you want bona fide people, not just power-mad egomaniacs doing but you can still yeah but you can still pay a premium and get a security company who does those checks thoroughly voluntarily right i i completely agree with you so on the they took our jobs thing okay there's a lot of arguments right now immigration is a really hot topic amongst libertarians especially with the rise of the alt-right in the last year or two who consider themselves a cousins or or something like that i don't know they're making deformed banjo playing well they they say they're cultural libertarians and they're they're libertarians in the fact that they believe in free speech and they're against social justice warriors and they they want you to be able to withhold cake baking from everyone you like i i think they've got important things to say but i don't particularly consider myself drinking out the same cup as them i find their attitudes generally speaking quite belligerent and i don't think they're broadly speaking cut from the same intellectual mold as libertarians tend to be and i i really miss the humanitarian impulse behind what they're saying i mean it might be down there somewhere but um i don't tend to see it come out and that's really important for me i think people don't care what you know until they know that you care and when it comes to winning the ideas war if we want to do that a lot of people will just not be willing to listen to our platform unless we're able to present it in a way that it's compassionate yeah it's compassionate and appeals to the masses and and can appeal to people's most people want to feel like they're good and yeah there's definitely a place for venting and talking about what a bunch of idiots whatever x group that you have ideological differences 
is and stuff like that, but I think that's mostly amongst friends in the bar. Yeah. Having, but, sorry, but I digress. Where I was going with the immigration thing is this. Okay, there might be cultural arguments against open borders from the alt-right and certain wings of the libertarian movement yeah. from a cultural perspective in terms of can we maintain a liberal society while allowing an undefined number of people who don't share liberal values into the country. Okay, I'm open to hearing those arguments, but the economic arguments against immigration are a pile of shit. First of all, the majority of immigrants are either low-skilled or high-skilled workers, whereas the majority of people in this country are medium-skilled workers. The second thing is, everyone that comes in and earns money here is going to spend that money somewhere. Actually, they're going to be generating demand. They're actually, every job that has been dick, dick, dickin is actually creating an equal amount of demand. Now, you can say, well, what if they just send that money back to Somalia, to their family or whatever? That's fine. What are you going to spend pounds on? Can you buy goods in Somalia with pounds? No, they're going to go to the Bureau to change and get changed into whatever that affects the value of the pound. And essentially, those pounds are going to be spent on British goods one way or another. Human wants are limitless. That is the foundation of economics, right? Whatever you have, you're always going to want more, right? There's no limit to the amount of labor that can be done so long as you have a free market. The free, we don't know how many things are not getting done right now because they won't fetch the minimum wage, because the cost of complying with labor laws is too high, because you need to fill out these stupid forms to say what nationality your workforce is and so forth. Lots of work is not being done right now because there's too many laws preventing it. And if you want to get British people into jobs and if you want to get immigrants into jobs, we need to slash down the sides of the state and let people work. Yeah. That's my rant. Here, here. Sounds good to me, man. The, the eternal question, can this problem be solved by less government or more government? And I think less government is definitely the answer. And I don't think uh, Amber Rudd's idea of forcing uh, companies to come out with these statistics, I don't think it's going to be helpful in any way at all. No. I don't even think it's going to achieve what they, no, they think it's, it's going to. No, it's going to be a complete waste of time and money. And it's going to create a tension where you can't employ too many British people because you're not employing enough immigrants and you can't employ too many immigrants because you're not employing enough British people. Okay, moving on from immigration to uh, education. This is a story about homework. Uh, I don't know about you, Anthony, right, but uh, when I was a kid... Well, first of all, let's, let's, let me just say that I'm not too objective here because I, I hated school. I absolutely hated it, and I still have a disdain for it. I think it's an, I think it's archaic. I think it's a Prussian idea that was designed to create good little citizens and good little soldiers, and people who were not really designed to think for themselves, but people who decide who are designed to slot into wherever the state and society wanted them to be. Therefore, you went to school 
during business hours, you went to school, you know, your day was chopped up just the way it would chop up when you eventually went to work. And it's basically preparing you for the rat race. Right. Uh, and in a modern styling, in a modern setting, it's also highly expensive, highly subsidised daycare. Right. You know, that's why we're sending kids to school between, you know, nine o'clock in the morning and, and four o'clock because that's when people are out at work. But anyway, so I hate, I hate schools in general. But homework, I really, I, I, I could not stand it when I was at school. Uh, and I, I remember when I was at secondary school, my first day, I think I had about three hours worth of homework that night when I came home. French homework, maths homework, geography homework. And every teacher during the day gave yeah, you homework. And you're thinking about... And, yeah, they would always they would go. I still no one else had given you homework. Exactly. They'd go, it's only going to take you 20 minutes. Oh, you know what I mean? Well, you're a maths teacher. Why don't you work this out? You know, 20 minutes from the geography teacher, 20 minutes from the French teacher. 20, it never was 20 minutes. It was at least half an hour. You did it three hours a night. So you get home from school, let's say, four o'clock. By the time you got your dinner, then you'd start doing your homework, let's say, maybe about half five, six. By the time I'd finished... My evening was gone, mm-hmm. and but almost time to go to bed, and then you're back into school the next day. Now I think homework is bullshit. Okay, if I got a plumber to come to my house and do some work, and he said to me, right, okay, uh, I'm almost done here, but all that has to be done now is the floor has to be cleaned up, that sprocket there has to be tightened, that those pipes there have to be put on and I'll just leave you with that and you can do that when I've left. I would say, uh, no, I'm paying you to do a job for me. Get it freaking done in the time that I've allocated for you to do it. And and, and be, don't be giving me you know, work to do that you're supposed to be doing. So when you send your kids to school... They're meant to teach them. They're meant to teach them within the hours that they go to school. Like, why are they giving them stuff to take home with them? What are you saying? That you failed miserably to teach my child what you're supposed to teach them during the hours allocated. Now let's have a look at what it says here in the iron. It says, down with homework, up with learning. It says, it is the source of many a family dispute. Harassed parents dread yet another piece of late night, last minute homework or having to pore over indecipherable handwriting in a child homework diary to work out exactly what's been said. But last week, a national furore erupted about homework when an Essex secondary school scrapped all traditional out-of-school assignments in favour of voluntary tasks. The Philip Morant School of Col- uh, and College in Colchester started the new school year with a new system which allows pupils to choose from an assortment of optional tasks rather than having a set amount of work which must be completed. Catherine Utley, the school's principal, admitted that the move was controversial but said that marking homework had placed a huge burden on teachers who could now use the extra time to plan better lessons. Um, It's not just that. Okay, yeah, go for it, Anthony. It's not controversial if you actually look at the evidence. Right. Alfie Cohen, A-L-F-I-E-K-O-H-N, wrote a whole book on it, The Homework Myth, where he collected the studies that said, at least at the elementary school level yeah. and some way up, homework has zero positive effects on learning. None. Yeah. None whatsoever. Now, not only that, but it's sociologically damaging. Right. Because the kids are having arguments with their parents about the homework and they're not going out and running around outside yeah. and learning with their friends. 
Now, hearing you talk about your personal experiences with homework made me think of something that I hadn't even realised before. When I came home from school for years, I would sit and watch three hours of television to tide me up most days. Sometimes I went out on my bike with my friends. But the, the main aim was not to have to do my homework before dinner. So I was actually arranging the whole after-school period around avoiding homework. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, if I'm just sitting watching TV, then, you know, I'm not going to have to do... Now, I'm just wondering how differently I would... I was deliberately using that time to avoid something. I just wonder if I would have made different choices if yeah. I wasn't trying to... You know, maybe I would have lived a bit more. Maybe I would have thought, well, I've not got anything to do tonight, so I feel quite free. I'll, you know, I'll go outside more. I'll read more. I'll play the piano more or done anything. I mean, now I look back on that time and I'd do anything to get those hours back to put to better use. I mean, yeah. if only I'd discovered the philosophy of liberty and economics, then <laughs> I don't know, by now, who knows? Yeah. But it says here also, a recent survey of teachers by the ATL union found that homework was a major factor in the unprecedented levels of pressure and stress facing children and young people today. I can quite believe that. And more than one in five teachers responded that their pupils were stressed because of the volume of homework or coursework that they'd been sent. And I was a piano tutor for a long time. And, you know, I remember a couple of times parents telling me about their homework and they're like, oh, terrible. They give them so much as well. And the thing is, but they just accept it and go along with it. It's like the school must know best, and they weren't happy with it, but they were, but they were kind of accepting of, of that's the way things are. And it's, yeah. it's, I mean, I mean, schools are religion. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's the it's the academic industrial complex. I I think it's a net negative. I think that people would actually be better off without mandatory education. Yeah. Uh, I know that's controversial, but you should check out a video that I posted up on YouTube a while ago. It's called Anti-Empirical Education. It's about seven minutes long, and I give a rundown of a number of the reasons why there's a whole bunch of evidence that says how kids learn. And at every turn, the education system seems to seek to do the opposite of what the evidence says. Yeah. And homework is one of those. Yeah. I mean, we we send kids to school for how long? But nine years? 11 to 13 years. 11 to, 11 to 13 years. What can you, what could you learn in 11 to 13 years? That's long enough to produce a concert pianist, right? Right. It certainly is. It's long enough to produce an engineer? Certainly. <laughs> is it long enough to produce... I don't know. How long does it take to, to be a doctor? Uh, seven years of study at uni. Okay. And yet, in 11 years... You can produce someone that can't get a minimum wage job. Yeah, that is a, an indictment of our education system. And yet again, who's behind it? Government. Get the government out of education. Let people make choices. You want to send your kid to clown school? It's not my idea. But you want to send your kid to clown school and be the best clown that they could ever be? That's entirely up to you. You want to send your kid to a school that just specialises in music because your kid's really into that? Do that. You want to send your kid to a school that does loads of homework? That's up to you. You don't want a kid to do homework? That should be up to you as well. Yet again, 
you know, less government is the answer in the, in the education system. And the reason why I think that is, is because the market's like a sieve, right? Yeah. Over time, it's turning over the earth and getting rid of, it's finding the whatever you're looking for in that soil, you know, the precious things. And no one is clever enough to come up with the best education system in the world. Yes. No one has the information, no one has the genius to do that. But by allowing the market to function, different schools will pick up different pieces of this pot, you know, that we yeah. call the best education system ever. And piece by piece, those methods can get tried, refined and adopted in one school, in a series of schools, until it reaches the profile where other schools can say what they're doing is really well. Yeah. They're doing that really well, and it gets adopted amongst more schools. And maybe those schools that are getting copied will be able to look at, well, you know, we're really good in crafts, and, you know, we obviously teach our children well at that, but this school is really good at academic subjects, and we do teach those here, so maybe we should learn why they're so good at it. And over time... The market allows you to build up a fantastic education system by acting like a sieve to yeah. to find the gems and you know put put them together. Yeah, but uh, I just well let us you know let us know what you think about this one as well. Um, if you're out there, if you enjoyed school, if you liked homework, uh, let us know. You freaking weirdo. Swatty. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, if you didn't, let us know as well. And we're, we'll move on from education, thankfully. God almighty, I hated school. We got uh, So we got our Tom Woods shout-out. We mentioned yeah. that. We also got another shout-out, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> I was surprised to find that we got a big shout-out on Stormfront, <laughs> which is a... <laughs> <laughs> which is a neo-Nazi website, uh, and uh, or, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll use their language. It's uh, a white nationalist website. But they gave us a shout out because of the stuff we'd done on uh, Miss Hitler. Miss Hitler episode five. Check it Ep- out. Yeah, uh, check we had it. a re-listen to it, and we thought we were pretty good. I thought it was pretty funny as well. I mean, like, don't, look, I mean, a lot of people got upset about the fact that these uh, you know, quote vile racists had this uh, Miss Hitler uh, contest. But we just thought it was worthy of just laughing at, you know. Um, and uh, we'd just like to say, if Miss Hitler, if you are out there and you do manage to hear this show, we would actually like to have you on the show and come on and discuss your views and tell us why you believe the things you, you do and tell us why that you decided to go in for this uh, beauty pageant, how many was in it, who you were up against, uh, and tell us what you think of uh, World Peace. <laughs> And the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Yeah, and the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Until then, be libertarians. Don't be a righty. Or a lefty.